Friday and Saturday mornings. Uh, and thanks, longtime listener, longtime monthly donor. Thank you so much, Andy. We have that's how we do it we here. We have officially turned Friday afternoon into a party. So <laughs> <laughs> celebration time. That's right. Uh, and of course, we'll be uh, doing this again pretty soon. Oh yeah, I've got a uh, you know on sa- Sunday I'll be back in here for reggae children actually. So you know, the fun drive isn't done yet. We're just done with our set here. Happy to make our goal, but you know you can call in you can get online and um help us out it's uh 812-323-1200 wfhb.org that's right make sure you keep listening and uh, giving to keep the station rolling you know it's eco report that's going to be up next and another amazing locally produced or produced in-house amazing uh journalism so you know what we do here and you know what to do to support it you got to call in 812-323-1200 that's right and we will uh, we'll probably be back in here next week to do a little bit more of this. Oh, yeah. And hopefully uh, finish out the fun drive as, as we get further on into it. We'll check out with the weather one last time. It's 48 degrees under foggy skies. Guaranteed 100% chance of rain tonight. The low is 46. Saturday, it's a high of 56 with a low of 33. 45% chance of some rain. Sunday, it's a high of 63 with a low of 42 under partly cloudy skies. Monday, it's a high of 58 with a low of 36, 45% chance of some rain. Tuesday, it's a high of 50 with a low of 30, 35% chance of rain or snow. My name is Spikes. I'll be back in two weeks. As always, all power to the people. Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. And financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. Coming up later in the program, correspondent Zero Rose gets an in-depth update from Stephen Stewart, who's your National Forest Program Director for the Indiana Forest Alliance, on the latest developments regarding grassroots activists' pressure on state officials to rethink the Buffalo Springs Restoration Project. And now for your environmental reports. How will Indiana respond to new rules about air pollution? States east of Indiana have complained for years about pollution from Indiana and other Midwest states. 
Indiana has thumbed its nose. Now, as reported in the New York Times, the Biden administration is strengthening the good neighbor rule to cut pollution from power plants and factories in the Midwest that wafts east. Known as the good neighbor rule, the new regulation strengthens and expands an earlier interstate air pollution standard that was enacted during the Obama administration. While that rule directed power plants to clean up their emissions, the revised rule enforces similar controls on mills, factories, and other industrial facilities. The Environmental Protection Agency is required by the Clean Air Act to periodically review and revise the rule. After failing to do so during the Trump administration, it is now strengthening restrictions under a court-ordered deadline. The Good Neighbor Rule holds that states should take measures to ensure that their pollution doesn't affect downwind states. It directs coal-burning power plants and industrial facilities such as iron, steel, cement, and concrete manufacturers in Midwestern states to reduce their emissions of nitrogen dioxide, a pollutant that causes smog and is linked to asthma, lung disease, and premature death. Soot and exhaust, soot and exhaust belch from those industrial facilities is carried by prevailing winds toward eastern states, causing high levels of pollution in states with fewer industries. Hey, Cynthia. Hey, Juliana. Guess what time it is? Oh, it must be fun drive. <laughs> Spring fun drive. Fun and fun drive. <laughs> I know. Hello, everybody out there. I hope you're listening to our show and enjoying what we have for you today. We are celebrating 30 years of WFHB Radio. Can you believe it started in 1993? What were you doing in 1993? I'll have to think back. But first <laughs> off, I want to let them know that if they're uh, wanting to support us, which we hope they will, to give us a call Absolutely. at 812-323-1200. Or they can also jump online. What were you doing in 93? I was still living in Muncie, Indiana. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately. All right. Well, here we are live again. Which I know. Is, um, great after a lengthy period through COVID of you reporting from home I and know. me kind of going on hiatus. I know. But just very recently, we've come back to do this live. And, and so we're glad to be able to share the airwaves with you and hope that you will uh, reciprocate and show some support yeah, for this show. Absolutely. We've got some interesting things going on with uh, WFHB Radio that uh, if you listen to us often or at different times of the day, but we've got this amazing program called Youth Radio Program, which provides support and education for our youth here in this area that we serve, and uh, it is an amazing program. It teaches these kids uh, how to talk on the radio, how to research, and how to interview. It's very, very, I mean, I was talking to Cade uh, earlier today, and he was saying if there was something like this around when he was growing up, he would have jumped on it in a minute, and it really appeals to those kids that don't play sports and you know, don't want to be in band. Here's another alternative for them. Exactly. Yeah, Kate, <laughs> our news director. And we do now have a full-time uh, director for the youth program. Yep, and that's her. They're yeah. expanding it. And, and her name going. Asia? Asia? Asia, Asia. yes. Yeah, yes. Right. Yep. So, um, yeah, that's right. There's another way that you can support WFHB Radio. It's called Positive Change Program, and all you have to do is go to Blooming Foods. Oh, yes. I've been doing that, <laughs> especially the first week. Yeah. They doubled if we rounded up, so I, I go there a lot. Cade told me 
just before the show started that it's up to eight thousand dollars oh that's amazing yeah. isn't and that amazing we do have a premium for those of you that want to pledge it i think it's a uh twenty dollar a month or yeah. 240 dollar level which is great somebody admired mine so much they took it off the hook where it was and i no longer have it are you serious i'm serious oh my gosh i, I would die if somebody <laughs> took my wfhb shirt oh my right. goodness gracious <laughs> but we We've still got them in stock. <laughs> yeah, no, right. So you can get yours if you want to pledge at that level. Yeah. Uh, you can increase a previous pledge or you could do it flat out or you could do it, break it up into the monthly premiums, whatever is your preference. True. All you have to do is call 812-323-1200. There you go. Yeah. Or hit that big old red button. Go to the computer and bring up wfhb.org and there's a great big old huge red button right there on the screen and all you have to do is push it and decide what you want to do. So. Yeah, well, there we go. So I think it's time we get back probably to our news updates. And... I don't know. Kate, are we on, on schedule? Okay, all right. Well, back to our schedule and I'm going to do the next report. The Indiana Volkswagen Mitigation Trust Fund Committee awarded $3,361,120 to nine companies in Indiana to help reduce diesel emissions in its latest round of funding on February 24th. In 2016, the U.S. government sued Volkswagen after finding the company used sophisticated software to cheat regulatory emissions tests violating federal law. The settlement required Volkswagen to pay $2.7 billion in fines. From this fine, states were given a certain amount of money to spend to reduce diesel emissions. In total, Indiana received $41 million to allocate from the settlement. Indiana directed its funds to the Volkswagen Mitigation Trust Fund Committee, created in October of 2017, by an executive order from Indiana Governor Holcomb. The Indiana Department of Environmental Management oversees the allocation of funds to industrial companies for the purpose of diesel emission reductions. <laughs> Several rounds of funding have already been sent to companies that applied. Roughly 95% of the initial $41 million has been awarded to the industrial company applicants so far, Barry Sneed, public information officer for IDEM, said in an email. Around two-thirds of the companies applying have received funding. Sneed said in the email that the funding thus far has been focused on replacing diesel-powered equipment with cleaner diesel, natural gas, or electric models. 200 school buses and 20 transit buses running on diesel were able to be replaced by either electric or compressed natural gas-based models. I think we've got some of those here in Bloomington. The companies receiving funding this round are Carter Express, Consolidated Terminals and Logistics, Fastenal Company, GE Marshall, Indiana Metal Management, Kokomo Grain Company, Metro Ports, Nucor, and Steel Dynamics, which received between $100,000 and $829,066. Cody Kirkpatrick, a senior lecturer in the Department of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at IU, said reducing diesel emissions wherever possible will help reduce carbon dioxide emissions. We have known for 200 years that the amount of carbon in the atmosphere affects the temperature of the atmosphere, Kirkpatrick said. Carbon dioxide absorbs heat energy from the Earth that would otherwise escape to space. As well as contributing to climate change, Kirkpatrick said diesel emissions can affect public health. 
According to the World Health Organization, air pollution can raise the risk of stroke, heart disease, lung cancer, and pneumonia. Exhaust from diesel engines and all other engines that we have is harmful, Kirkpatrick said. We know that the amount of pollution is tied to an increase of health problems. All right, folks. We are still into our spring fun break, and we have uh, actually a pretty small amount to raise during this period of time. It's only $100. All right. So I well, think we hey, can do pretty good with that, can't we? We could get that in 10 calls of $10 each. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Or one person and give us $100. <laughs> right. So, but every yeah. dollar counts um, for us, uh, so just pledge what you feel comfortable with, please. Yeah, and you can always become a sustaining donor, so yeah. So a little bit at a time, and it doesn't hurt as much if you can't afford to do it all at one time. So um, our, we've got a, a big goal to get through, too. Is Zero going to join us? See you on there? Zero, are you there? Yes, Zero is on right now. Uh, hi there, Zero. How you doing? Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to Zero Rose. He's one of the people that are starting to do our features for us, and he's doing a bang-up job. So you're going to get to hear one of his um, interviews here in just a little bit. What have you got to say about spring break fun drive? Oh, well, it's uh, the opportunity for uh, people to uh, support something that uh, um, is kind of a standout. It's uh, getting more coverage these days, but um, there's not not a lot of places where you get devoted environmental news. I was around in the early days of the uh, daily local news at the station, and then some years uh, later I was invited back to host Interchange. And on Interchange I uh, interviewed a lot of the uh, movers and shakers on the environmental movement in town, you know, uh, city officials, like I talked to Dave Rollo, Isabel Piedmont-Smith, and Matt Pierce uh, for an Earth Day episode. Um, you know, the uh, IU Task Force on Campus Sustainability, PCB problems, sustainable food systems, and things like that. Um, but uh, after a while, I, I got some complaints from certain sectors that I was always doing environmental stories. <laughs> but that's and, important. <laughs> and and uh, so, so I began to lobby my colleagues over at the Eco Center, Caldwell Eco Center, people of the sustainable, Center for Sustainable Living, and Indiana Forest Alliance, and Local Growers Guild were all, like, sharing offices there. And so at the meetings, I was like, we need to start an environmental news program because um, I'm kind of getting some pushback of always covering environmental stories. And at first they were kind of indifferent, uh, but eventually it resulted in an eco-report being submitted as a program. I did not know you were involved in the beginning. Oh my goodness. Wow. I just I just learned some history. I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> so along with Lucille Bertuccio yeah. and Jeff Miller. So yeah, uh, appreciate that. Want to remind our listeners, if they're wanting to support us, to call 812-323-1200 or go online to wfhb.org. Tell us more about the beginnings. That's, a, that's really interesting. I think our listeners might enjoy hearing about that. So Norm, Norm was there, wasn't he? Because he's one of the people that made some of the recordings. Yeah, yeah. There became a, a whole team that coalesced around the concept. But I, I was the one that said, hey, I've been doing interchange for two years here. And even though I'm on only once a month, 
they're saying I'm doing all <laughs> environmental stories all the time and wanted me to do something else, you know. Yeah. I was like, uh, there is not enough focus on the environment. Nope. It's the central issue of everything else. You know, everything mm. else depends on having a livable biosphere. And it was still very people flinching. I mean, this was about 2008. Yeah. Wow. Massive. There's been a massive change in attitudes. Yeah. And I, acceptance as climate change has become obvious. Very right. obvious. You're absolutely right. Well, Zero, you're doing a, such a good job, and we're so happy to have you on board again. Yeah, thanks, Zero. Yeah. Don't forget, you can don't make a donation anytime you want to by just going online to wfhb.org. And what did we get over there, Lucille? <gasps> really? We got an We have a pledge, so thank you. It's anonymous, but I appreciate it uh, nonetheless. Yeah, thank you very, very much. We really appreciate it. We have a small goal of just $100, so anything that you feel like you can give, we certainly do appreciate it. So, anyway, um, are we ready to move on now? Absolutely. All right. And now we join Zero. Zero? We're getting ready to do your with re- rethinking Buffalo Springs with the Indiana Forest Alliance. Eight one two three two three twelve hundred. Today we have Stephen Stewart with us to give us an update on forest protection efforts. Stephen is Hoosier National Forest Program Director for Indiana Forest Alliance, or IFA, a nonprofit storing Indiana's native hardwood forest ecosystem, and also has programs to protect urban forests. They also monitor biodiversity, doing an eco-blitz forest census. They monitor water quality of the Blue River to protect eastern hellbender salamanders from having their young smothered by sediment runoff from logging. And they monitor the presence of endangered species and advocate for the protection of their habitats. After much persistent pressure from grassroots activists, many uh, letters and calls of support Senator Mike Braun and the USDA have committed to a new forest plan for the Hoosier Hoosier National Forest. Uh, The Forest Service has also agreed to reopen the comment period, if but only for the duration of a public meeting uh, regarding the Buffalo Springs plan. And that's going to be April 3rd at the Orange County Community Building in Paoli, Indiana. Thank you for joining us today, Stephen. Oh, I certainly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. As I understand it, this uh, reopening of the comment period is basically for the duration of this one meeting. It isn't like a process that's opened up for a month for public comment as it, as it had been previously. No, as part of the NEPA process, you know, they had their they had their, they released the draft environmental assessment right at Thanksgiving time this last year, and you had 30 days to comment uh, for the to be put on the official record. And in order for you to be heard uh, in future uh, stages of the process, you know, that's a very busy time, the busiest time of the year for most folks. So we have been petitioning and negotiations and talking for a long time. And, and Senator Braun has, has, has assisted us in that effort. Earlier in July of last year, he had uh, got the hierarchy uh, of the, a lot of the leaders of the U.S. United Sports United States Forest Service, as well as uh, Undersecretary Homer Wilkes, uh, to join us in uh, Orange County uh, to answer questions about the project. And they had made some promises there, and we went for a long time where nothing was heard back from them, uh, and they never acknowledged that meeting. So Senator Braun, at our urging, went back 
to Wilkes, uh, and he finally has agreed to meet in Orange County, the general public. And they have slated that day for April 3rd, where any comments made during that session will be made on the public record, which is which is good and what needs to be done. However, we're struggling at this point to get a time. They've proposed one o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday. And if you, the whole purpose of this meeting is to get the public out, not to get a certain you know official uh, of, of some importance down there to Orange County. Uh, but we just there's a, a outpouring of opinion in the community and abroad for you know against the project as it stands just not been studied thoroughly and needs an environmental impact statement done which is a much thorough process than the draft environmental assessment was which might take two to four years because this project as it stands the buffalo springs proposal is going to have significant impact on, on a wide variety of natural and cultural resources so we're, we're working diligently to get that time set in the evening time so that the majority of the public can attend. Community building there in Orange County holds 400. So, you know, there, there should be room for folks. And we really want to uh, get a get the word out as, as soon as we get that time so that we, we can fill the capacity and, and get everybody out there because it's everybody's forest, the public forest. And so they, each person has a right and a say uh, of how it's managed and how, and how we use that forest uh, going into the future. And is this the controlled burn scenario and the coin term Buffalo Springs, which was really invented for this project, right, around Buffalo Trace? That's correct. They took a, uh, two local names. Uh, the Buffalo Trace is a historical pathway, uh, you know, 12,000 years plus that was used uh, through the heart of Orange County, went from the falls of the Ohio to Vincennes. A lot of historical landmarks along that trail and events have happened throughout time, uh, and it goes right through this project area. So they took the buffalo from that, and then they combined that with Springs Valley, which is the French Lick West Baden area, uh, and uh, renamed the area Buffalo Springs. Uh, it's a 30,000-acre uh, area within uh, the Hoosier National Forest there in Orange and Crawford County, uh, just barely into the northern part of Crawford County. Um, and they're proposing the forest management of yeah, prescribed burns, over 15,000 acres of that, uh, and over 5,700 acres of uh, different types of civil culture or timbering uh, activity. Um, however, you know, there, there are things that need to be taken into perspective is that uh, the cleanest water supply, municipal water supply in the state of Indiana is, is Potoka Lake. Uh, and three quarters of uh, this project area, the Buffalo Springs proposed project area is right in the Potoka River Basin. Uh, and it's a very rugged terrain uh, through this area with an exorbitant amount of karst features uh, and natural springs. Um, and they're on very high slope, uh, a very high degree of slope. And so uh, much like the South Houston project that they are proposing uh, around the Lake Monroe area as well. Uh, and uh, you know, IFA has been studying the water quality up there, but when you uh, burn uh, in and right now is the season that they do it, they're burning in uh, the early March and April. And of course, what that's always the rainy season, right? So if, if they burn all of the stuff and all of the, 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 the top layer off on these hillsides around these karst features and these water springs, what's happening is if you have a, a rainy event after that, it's the particulates, it's just eroding the landscape into this water, which then uh, contaminates uh, the the public water source. 
Um, the more contaminants that get into it, the more uh, area for bacteria to grow. Um, and, and, in, and in essence, it poisons the springs. So um, it's very critical that, that these be looked at, you know, uh, in a much closer fashion and, and measured to get a baseline reading and then, you know, do some other test areas that aren't as critical um, and see what the effects are. Um, and, and they just don't have that data. Um, they, and overall, generally, they don't have a lot of ground truth, we call it, uh, of the specific ecosystem and the relationship of what's going on in the Buffalo Springs area, this 30,000 acres. Uh, they just don't do not have enough data on it uh, to impose a project of this scope and this large uh, aggressive activities of the silviculture uh, and, and the prescribed burning and the chemical treatment um, that is currently proposed for this area. Um, it's going to have a significant effect on a wide range of, of things, and, and that needs to be looked into in a much more thorough and in-depth fashion. Yeah, I understand their ostensible stated goal is to uh, recover oak and hickory, and they say that the canopy uh, shades out new trees and that they need to open it up, and they you know, say that that's also better for birds and things. And of course, people uh, know of the Native Americans doing, uh, you know, controlled burning situations and how that was, you know, in a pretty good balance and a way to stave off large disasters. So they make it sound pretty good to the average person in the public. Uh, but you say they haven't really done proper environmental impact. Uh, assessments? That's correct. Um, they, there's, um, if you go to um, uh, down in the area, they their clear cutting is going to be doing for the, the non-native pines that were planted there by the Forest Service uh, from the 30s through the 70s. Uh, and they're not invasive, but they're going to cut those. And they say that they're, they're clear cutting that area entirely. Uh, what's interesting is, is we've taken a drone and gone over in the winter season when the leaves are off and remarkably, what you see from those drone images is hardwood regeneration all through the pine stands. Um, and I was recently in the Shawnee National Forest in Southern Illinois, and we visited two sites uh, that were clear cut, that were pine um, for oak hickory regeneration uh, to let the sunshine in initiative is what they call it. Uh, and, and indeed, you go there now and there are two predominant species in those clear-cut areas from 20 years ago. And remarkably, here's what they are. They're not oak and hickory regeneration. They're not hardwood regeneration. You've got multiflora rose and pines. They came right back. Uh, and there's there these two sites that we went to are not the only sites that show this. Um, they are everywhere. Um, so the, there's no planting involved. Uh, they simply say that they the the squirrels they say they're very busy critters and they will be bringing the the oak into the acorns into these areas. But uh, time and time and time again, we go to areas where this treatment has been applied and that's not happening. And so, are you for some form of a compromise or just want uh, want it to be uh, left alone? Oh, uh, well, there are some, uh, you know, public component, pub, public advocates of, of not one tree, not one inch. Um, but to be honest, I mean, uh, there, there are, uh, there's a variety of end results that can happen uh, because we do understand the United States 
uh, Forest Service is a multi-use agency. So they, they, you know, part of their mission, their department, department of agriculture is to have a commodity or a need for wood products. And that is understood, but their the size of what they're doing, the amount of study they're putting into it and uh, the area where it's at is just bad timing, bad placement. And they really need to look at it much more thoroughly and look at other areas. Um, we're at, we have, we have proposed four different uh, alternatives and submitted those as part of what we call the citizens preferred alternative to the forest service because part of the NEPA process is they're supposed to uh, look at a range a range which is more than one alternative to their initial proposal and the only uh, alternative that they considered was a no action proposal so it was either all or none and that, but uh, complicated ecosystems, you know, as the forest in, in southern Indiana and the Hoosier National Forest are, with a wide range of cultural resources, wide range of uh, natural resources, that we have endangered species in the area, uh, with the, the water, the, the quality of the water issues. Um, it's just, they need to look at it much more thoroughly. Uh, and provide more alternatives. Uh, what's it going to? How's it going to affect the local economy? Um, they did a two-page analysis of uh, an economic review for the project in their draft environmental assessment. Out of over 600 plus pages of documentation studies for it, and only two were done from a fiduciary from financial aspect. Um, and that is that's considerably not thorough enough. Um, so. Primarily, we are in our citizen preferred alternative uh, looking at alternatives that really uh, look at preservation, look at look at climate uh, control uh, with carbon sequestration, uh, and look at recreation possibilities and and the connection to the local to the local uh, economy. Um, things that were not addressed in the forest disturbance plan, um, and so uh, we just need to start those negotiations and talking, and they need to you know, more analyze in a much more thorough, in-depth way, um, a, a variety of uses for that their, their multi-use, rather than simply strictly looking at uh, silviculture uh, and um, and prescribed burning. Uh, you know, from the analysis, the economic analysis that we are, we put together uh, with our team and, and are, are permitting to them, it's showing that a ROI, return on investment, is, is astronomically greater. Uh, exponentially greater, uh, focusing on recreation and preservation versus the current uh, silviculture and prescribed burning alternative that they are proposing. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. Zero's full interview with Stephen Stewart will be available on the station's website in the next installment of our Eco Report Extra, soon to be posted on WFHB.org. And I'm Cynthia Robertson. Just a quick uh, insert that River Roden uh, expresses their support for Eco Report Extra. And thanks to Chris for answering the call at 323 1200. Yes, don't forget to call in. <laughs> 
Here at Eco Report, we're currently looking for reporters, maybe you're one of those people, engineers and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And very quickly, upcoming event, you can learn about backyard birds at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, March 25th at 10 a.m. in the Nature Center. Watch the bird feeders as you learn about Indiana's birds and how to feed them and not the raccoons. Learn about all the woodpeckers of Indiana at Brown County State Park on Saturday, March 25th from 11 to 11.45 a.m. Join radio personality Don Glass, who is a park expert. He's also NPR's Moment of Science show host for a presentation and discussion about Indiana's seven species of native woodpeckers. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Zero Rose. Our feature was prepared and presented by Zero Rose. Our script today was assembled by Juliana Daly and edited by Kay 